of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. everyone. It's great to worship with y'all. I always kind of a privilege to preach on Sunday mornings, especially this morning because I get to preach on Romans 8. Uh, normally when you are uh, a supplementary preacher, uh, I'm not the, normally Pastor Andrew's up here preaching, when you're supplementary, you don't get to preach on the best topics. You usually get okay. I mean, it's the Bible, so you get good topics, but you don't get the best ones. But I get uh, many consider Romans 8 to be uh, you know, the best chapter in the Bible or one of the best, and so I get to speak on that this morning. Um, I hope you've had a, a good weekend so far. My wife and I, we were setting up Christmas decorations yesterday, setting up our Christmas tree, getting things ready for that. And so going into this, I know some of you consider it to be heresy to be setting up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving, so don't let this uh, alter the way that you view this message. Uh, if it does, that's okay. We can talk about it later, but um, I actually got a text this morning after, I, I, I guess someone was watching online and, and they texted me and said it is, it is heresy to set up Christmas lights before Thanksgiving. So, uh, so uh, yeah, just keep that in mind, I guess, just, or, or don't keep that in mind as we go forward if, if you take it personally. Uh, but uh, again, we're going to be in Romans 8, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in verses 18 to 25. Last week, Pastor Andrew addressed the previous passage in which Paul is talking about how we have been adopted as children of God, how we've been given the Spirit of God to testify within ourselves that we are his children and that he is our Father. And, and with that in mind, we're going to move into our passage this week. And this passage, Paul is dealing with suffering. He's dealing with groaning, suffering that we face outside of ourselves, um, in our environments, in our relationships, in the issues of this world. Uh, we see sickness, we see disease, we see persecution. Um, but then also, there's another category of suffering that we could mention, and that's inner struggle, the inner turmoil that Christians face as they battle their old flesh and as we seek to live by the Spirit. Do you face suffering this morning? Uh, then this is for you. If you're a Christian, especially, this, this is for you because we, we all face suffering. We, we all face um, some level of struggle in this life, and if we're Christians, the Bible tells us that we will experience an inner struggle and an inner turmoil. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, um, and Paul describes that here in our passage. And so I want to take this in three points. First, suffering. Two, groaning. Three, revealing. Suffering, groaning, and revealing. Uh, like I said, Romans 8, 18 to 25, we're going to read that. Let me pray uh, before we do that. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your spirit that draws near to us, that helps us. I pray this morning that you would testify with our spirits that we are your children, that you would show us that even by suffering, we can be encouraged because it is a sign that we are your children. I pray that you would just give us understanding, give us hearts that are soft to receive this and I pray that we would leave here worshiping, um, worshiping, knowing 
you more fully and willing to share that with others as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, suffer. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go ahead and read, read the passage, Romans 8, 18 to 25. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So first, suffering. First, suffering. What is this suffering that Paul talks about? Um, He says at the very beginning, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Bible is full of language that tells us that this life will be full of suffering, and particularly for Christians. Uh, Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans 5, 4, and 5 says, I'm sorry, 5, 3, and 4 says this, uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And we could go on and on with verses that tell us not only that we will experience suffering, but we are encouraged in it. We are spurred on in our suffering. It says that we are even granted to suffer. Isn't that crazy language? Because it's, that's not natural to us to expect or take it as a privilege to suffer. And like I was saying, we could categorize these sufferings into different kinds of categories. Um, we could say persecution is one, the, the suffering that Christians experience as they live in this world from other people. Um, we could say the, the physical suffering that we experience in this world because of the fallenness of sin, disease, there's sickness, um, physical harm from others, injury, and there are others. And I think it is important for us to categorize that this morning because I think while Paul is talking about that kind of suffering, I think more specifically as you follow his train of thought, what he's trying to get at is that Paul is wanting to address particularly inward suffering, inward suffering for the Christian as we struggle against sin, as we have the struggle between the Spirit of God and sin. And it's very interesting how Paul, if we, if we, if we follow the train of thought in Romans 8 up to this point, it, it seems like Paul is almost totally changing the subject, as if he was talking before about you know, our life, as we can recognize the Spirit of God working in us as we seek to follow the Spirit. And then he talks about suffering. And I would argue that it's not a total change in subject. Um, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And so we could ask the question, why, why the change here, Paul? Why the shift from what you were talking about to suffering? And 
it occurred to me this. I hadn't realized this as I had read this before. I believe this to be true. I believe the main kind of suffering that Paul has in mind here is that which comes from the conflict between our flesh and the Spirit of God. I believe the main kind of suffering that Paul has in mind here is that which comes from the conflict between our flesh and the Spirit of God. Let me explain. Paul, I think Paul's point here, keep in mind, he's written Romans 7. At the end of Romans 7, we've talked about this a little bit. Paul explains his own struggle between his flesh, the law of sin, and the Spirit of God at work in him. Romans 8 talks about you know, our battle with, you know, as we seek to kill sin. We're, we're led by the Spirit, and those who are led by the Spirit are, are sons of God. And what he says here is that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As Christians, this is so important for us to realize and to grasp because suffering in the Christian life is coming. We've read a couple of verses that already tell us that. Um, and they, like, we, like I mentioned, they tell us not only that we're going to suffer, but that we should rejoice in our suffering, that we've been granted to suffer as Christ suffered. And if you're anything like me, you don't naturally enjoy suffering. It's, you don't look at the hardships of this world and, you know, uh, prance into it with excitement. Um, but that suffering is, to, is supposed to point us to a greater glory. Um, I think that many of us, when we become Christians, we, we have perceived our experience is going to be something like, my life was really, really hard, and I had all these struggles, and then I became a Christian, and everything became easy. And that's not the experience that the Bible teaches us. Yes, there is joy. Yes, there's joy in knowing that we are children of God, and knowing that we have a secure hope and eternal life, but that is not to the exclusion of struggles in this life. And that's so important to point out because it's easy to buy into the lie that once I become a Christian, my life will be easy or comfortable. Um, I've recently talked with people here in this church who have, who have struggled with this. I myself have struggled with this. Um, you know, I look at the, the hardships in my own life. The, the, I struggle with emotions that I don't think I should have. You know, I look at other Christians and I think it doesn't look like they struggle with this like I do. It seems like they have a much easier time than I do. do you, does that resonate with you? Do, you? do you struggle with that as well? Um, I think we ask these questions. We, we ask, is being a Christian supposed to be this hard? Is being a Christian, is it supposed to have, are we supposed to struggle like this? Is that normal? And I think the Bible's answer, Paul's answer is yes, that is, that is normal. That's to be expected. Not only is there outer turmoil and struggle as we look at creation and we look at our communities, but there's an inward struggle, an inward battle inward suffering that takes place every day. Let me read, as I mentioned already, Romans seven fourteen, to about the end of the chapter, uh, Romans 7. And you tell me, let, judge for yourself, based on this, it, it, does the Christian life include inner struggle? Let me read. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Does the Christian life include inner suffering? And I think here we see that Paul's answer is yes. And I think we look at Paul, we can look at Paul as a hero of the faith. He did many amazing things as a Christian. Um, He was an amazing missionary. And sometimes it can be hard to identify with Paul because you see Paul and it's like, well, he was like healing people and he was casting out demons. I've not cast out a demon that I'm aware of. Um, His shadow would come across somebody or or whatever and, and it would heal somebody. But we can identify with Paul because this is the experience of every Christian. This is an inner battle that takes place. Again, I can't tell you how many people I've talked with that deal with this inner, ter- this inner struggle privately. My wife and I were talking about this last night, about how it seems like many times we, we get one-on-one with somebody, and this inner struggle that people deal with comes out. You know, uh, we, we so often deal with it privately, and we look at others, and, and we don't know if anyone else is dealing with things like we do, if they're, they're having this inner struggle. And it is something that happens. It, we start to, it causes us to question our faith. It causes us to question you know, the churches we grew up in, like what they were teaching us. It causes us to question God and to, uh, to be angry with God. It causes us to be angry with ourselves because we look at our own experience and we don't see what good can come from this. Um, and I want to be careful because there is deep joy in being a Christian. Is there not? We see that in Romans 8. I think that's why Romans 8 is seen so often as the best chapter in the Bible because it tells us about how the Spirit of God lives in us and we are children of God. And that's an amazing truth that brings joy to us. But that joy is not to the exclusion of suffering in this life as a Christian. And especially when it comes to our personal struggles against our old self and our old desires. Paul says in in verse 19, he says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So he even talks about how the creation has been subjected to this same kind of suffering and futility. Think about creation. Creation the earth, the birds, the animals, the trees. Our, think about our communities, our societies, the scientific laws that we have discovered. All of it has been touched. All of it has, is under the umbrella of sin, of uselessness, of futility. Why? Because of him who subjected it. That is Adam, our forefather, who sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. And do you see this language here? The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, just like we have been bonded to this sinful flesh because of sin. We've been bonded to our selfish desires. Just like that, all of creation has been subjected to futility and sin. There's nothing left untouched by the umbrella of sin. 
And so that moves us into our second point, groaning. Groaning. Paul says this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul uses such an, it's such an appropriate word. It's, I think it's one that we can identify with. He uses the word groaning. Groaning. Such a good word. Um, he's, he's describing our Christian experience, but also the experience of creation. Let's go back to creation for a moment. I think it's no accident that Paul uses Genesis language here. If you think back with me to Genesis, the creation account, Paul, or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Adam and Eve have sinned against God in the garden. They've disobeyed him, and God is pronouncing judgment on them. And he, he says um, to Eve that because of sin, that her pain in childbearing will be multiplied. And then to Adam, he tells him that the, the ground is cursed because of him and that he'll have to toil all the days of his life for food. And um, Paul uses similar language here in our passage to the creation account. Think about the words that he's using. He says, the creation itself has been in the pains of childbirth until now. Just as the woman was to endure pain in childbirth, so does the creation. There's conflict, there's violence, there's struggle, and the creation groans. The creation groans. Here, here's what I mean. Have you ever watched the show Planet Earth? It's a great, it's a pretty good show if you like nature shows at all. Even if you don't, it's a great one to get started on. My wife and I have two young sons, and so we're always trying to find something family-friendly to watch uh, with our, our older one. He's, he's two. And, uh, and so we'll be, you know, searching through. We'll come to Planet Earth. We're like, we'll watch that. He loves animals. You know, we read books with him, and they always have animals in them. The, the turtle is friends with the bunny, and they go down the slide together, you know. And uh, those books are they're cute, and they're funny, and they, they're a joy to read with him. But they're not necessarily always a great reflection of of what's going on in creation. Um, and yeah, the, the cute animals sometimes are friends with each other, but I think if you turn on Planet Earth or some other nature show, you've seen how these animals and the rest of creation operates. Here's what I mean. Uh, yes, you watch those shows and you get to see God's creation. That's beautiful. You get to see these animals that you've never seen before, and that's, it's awesome. But you can't really watch these shows without being exposed to how these animals actually live. They, sh they struggle. Moment by moment, they're struggling for food. They're hunting. They're trying to keep their offspring from being eaten by another animal. They're, they're, they themselves are trying to survive and not get taken down by a predator. They're trying not to starve to death. And when you look around at the world as a whole, you see hurricanes. You see tornadoes. You see famine, you see diseases that rip through societies. The creation groans. This is what it means for the creation to groan. And not only the creation around us, but then Paul, he, he explicitly points out that not only the creation groans, but we ourselves as Christians groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. Those that have this suffering going, going on inside of them we groan, and, and Paul says we groan because Paul, he says, as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Isn't that an interesting way for Paul to put it? He says we wait for adoptions, and, and if we think about it, 
Paul, that's kind of confusing because I thought you said we were already adopted. Are we not already children of God if we've placed our faith in him? Because he says here we, we wait for adoptions, or we wait for our adoption as sons. So, so does it mean, Paul, that we're not adopted yet? No, it doesn't mean that. Look back to verse 14. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are, present tense, sons of God. So this is what makes every person a, the, a little theologian is that we, we have to take we are adopted and we are waiting to be adopted. This is, we have to think about that and hold that intention. So how do we do that? And Because I would argue, as, as Paul said, we, we can be sure we are adopted. We can be sure that if we have placed our faith in Christ, that we are his children, that we will be forever. He will, he will never let us go. The Bible says that, I think. Also, if you just think about the gospel that our adoption is not based on the things that we do, how well we do, but based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And yet, there is a futureness to our adoption. That's not, that's not a word, but I like it here. There is a futureness to our adoption. And what is that? Um, we'll talk about it more fully here in a moment, but Paul says, we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's defining what he means by we are waiting for our adoption. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We are waiting for no more death, no more deterioration, no more proclivity for sin and selfishness, no more creation violence and struggle, total victory, total victory. Does that, do you experience a groan for that here this morning? I think that's what Paul is getting at. And so even though we groan, even though we do experience the pain of childbirth right now, we can endure it knowing that we are waiting for, the, for our final adoption in the end, when Jesus comes back. That's the encouragement here this morning, that instead of when we experience suffering inside, when we experience strife and struggle and turmoil and why, am I, why do I struggle with this? Why am I having a hard time with this? When I, when I struggle, instead of that causing me to despair, it causes my gaze to look outward, to see it's coming, this life is not the end. It's coming. There is redemption coming. And, and one more encouragement that I want to put forth this morning is um, I think that what Paul is trying to get at as well is that our groaning, it confirms our calling and adoption. Our groaning confirms our calling and adoption. Here's what I mean. You can know God is working in you that his spirit lives in you, that his spirit has saved you, that you've been adopted because you groan. You groan as you await the redemption of your bodies. You groan as you see sin in your own life and throughout the world. Let me explain a little bit further. Let's look back a moment to Romans 8, 12 to 15. It says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So how does this show us that groaning confirms our adoption? In this way, this is how I would explain it. We must follow Paul's line of thinking here. It's so important for us to do that. He says, we must, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, and we will live. And he says, after that, that all-important word, for. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He's explaining what it means to live by the Spirit to put away our sin. He's saying, if the Spirit is at work inside of you to put away sin, that is a confirmation to you that God is at work. Does that make sense? God is at work inside of you. If you experience this groaning and you see sin in your own life and you see the futility of creation and it causes this groaning inside of you, let that be an assurance to you that God is at work inside of you. What an encouragement. So what this means is that when we do see this suffering in our own lives, we see suffering outside and we struggle instead of despairing we can then say, this is not the end. Yes, this, th- this situation, you know, whatever's going on inside of me is very hard. But it's coming. Redemption is coming. Jesus is coming. And so if you're a child of God this morning, no matter what the struggle is, you can have no fear of what your destiny is. No matter what you're going through, you're a child of God. You can rest in that this morning knowing that he will perfect you in the end as we see Jesus face to face. This struggle with sin is to be expected in the Christian life. Um, And that that brings me to to my final point here this morning, revealing, revealing. And I get this word from verse 19 of our passage today. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What does he mean? He means the creation is waiting for the time when all that is true, excuse me, all that is right, all that is good will be made complete again. The creation waits for that fulfillment And as we've talked about, there is a futureness to our adoption as sons and daughters of God. We've already been made into his children, and yet that adoption has not been made complete in the sense that we still live in this old, fleshly, sinful body. We're still clothed with sinful flesh. We still live in a world and are surrounded by creation that's under the umbrella of sin. And so we wait, we wait, um, and our adoption, our transformation, this, it's not always perfectly clear to us. Um, it's not always obvious um, in this world or to those around us or to creation. And, and that is why we wait. That's why creation waits. It waits for it to happen. Let's think about for a moment the word revealing. Revealing is unveiling something that's already there. It doesn't need to be created. It's already been created. That means it already exists. There's a glory, a goodness. It's not always evident to us, but it's there. Uh, and so that's true. If you're, do you see what I'm getting at? If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been transformed. Nothing more needs to happen there. You are a new person. There's a reason the, the New Testament is full of promises 
and, 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 and things telling us you are new. You are not bound to this old person anymore. You've been made new because we need to be encouraged that we are not bound to the, to the old person anymore. Let's think, think with me about Jesus' ministry for a moment. Um, when he was on the earth, it was pretty clear, was it not, that Jesus, there was something different about Jesus. He was healing people. The things that he said, the ways that he spoke, he had obvious wisdom. Um, even the people who didn't believe that he was Messiah looked at him and thought, is he a prophet? Is he this or that? They saw something different about Jesus. And yet, there was some kind of hiddenness to Jesus, was there not? Think about it. He spoke in parables. He, oftentimes he would heal somebody and he would tell them, don't tell anybody else about this. Or when he was about to be crucified, um, he, they were asking him, are you the Messiah? Or do you, do you say that you're the son of God? Do you say that you're the Christ? And he didn't really give a clear answer. And so there's something about Jesus that was obvious to the world. And there was also some hiddenness about who he was. And so this isn't a perfect metaphor because Jesus, we would, Jesus was perfect, is perfect. We would say he didn't have sin. But my point is this, this in the same way that there, there was a reality existed in Jesus and yet there was a hiddenness, there's a reality that exists in the person that is a Christian. And yet there's also a revealing that will take place. If you're a Christian, you have been changed. You have been transformed. This will be evident to yourself, to those around you, to the world, and yet it hasn't been fully revealed yet. We still experience brokenness in this world and in ourselves. Like, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. We, we see here, Paul even points out to the fact that we are fully known. We are fully known by God. I think this, this points to the fact we've been tra- we, are, we are fully known by God. And yet, we don't fully know or understand ourselves. We don't understand our own suffering. We don't understand what, everything that goes on in the world. We can't answer every question. And yet, one day we will understand. I'm not saying, maybe, I'm not sure if we'll understand everything perfectly, but one day we will have clarity. There will be reality about us and about the things around us. There will be glory. We see now in a mirror dimly. I've heard it explained this way, that back in Paul's day, the mirrors that they had, they were not perfectly clear, like the ones that we have today. We can look in a mirror and it's super clear. And, but the ones that they had back then, the mirrors were dim. And so the, what you were looking at, you, you got some of the reality, but you didn't get to see everything perfectly clear. That's how he describes our experience in this sinful world. There's not perfect clarity. Sometimes the reality of what we are and who we are and what God is doing is unclear to us. And that's how Paul describes our experience in this world and in our flesh. This is so, it's so important for us as Christians as we walk through this world when we experience, we need to understand this reality because as we experience brokenness, so oftentimes, we've talked about this, it causes us to question ourselves, question God, question what's going on around us, to doubt his goodness. And 
although we, we see this hardship, instead of despairing, we can have hope. We can have hope that there is redemption coming. There's revelation coming. Paul, Paul speaks on this at the end of our passage today. He says in verses 24 and 25, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He describes the nature of hope. We, hope is placing our confidence or our trust in something that's coming in the future. We can't see it now, but maybe we can see some of the effects of it. We can feel the anticipation of this hope that's coming. We can anticipate the promise of this hope. But sometimes it, look like, it looks like it's not going to happen. Sometimes we struggle and we doubt it, and that's okay. And that's okay. But we can look at the uncertainty of it and be reminded that because God said it, there is certainty. We experience this kind of hope. We taste it in this life. Do we not think about your own life? Think about um, the weather forecast, uh, especially in South Carolina. The, the summer's about to end. You see next week that the, the, the weather people say that it's supposed to cool down. You know? And so we experience hope because we're tired of the heat. Um, or your boss at work, they promise better pay or better hours or a better job, a promotion. And so we experience hope. Our government promises better benefits, better laws. Our family or friends, they promise to treat us better or to come through for us more often. And because we live in a sinful world so often, maybe more often than not, it seems, Nothing and nobody is able to come through on the hope that they've promised. But we, church, we have not placed our hope in one who cannot come through on his promises. In fact, he promises to come through on everything that he has ever said will happen. We have placed our hope in one who is mighty to save, one who is able to redeem all things, one who has promised to redeem all things, including those who place their hope in him. And this God cannot lie. Uh, I've, I've heard before that, uh, that faith is like a leap in the dark. And I understand where that explanation is coming from, but I, don't, I personally don't love that explanation for faith so much when it comes to being a Christian because, yes, we are placing our hope in something we cannot see, but we are placing our hope in something that is as sure as any reality that we see in our lives. We are placing our hope in the promises of the God of the universe. That is not uncertain. That is not uncertain in the slightest. And so faith in the Christian life, we can be 100% sure that everything that God said will happen will happen. Um, I can remember, I want to close with this story. I can remember an old pastor of mine. His name was Pastor Eddie. He was the pastor of the church that Pastor Andrew and I were at together. Um, pastor Andrew was a, a pastor on staff there, and um, he was telling a story about how when he was younger, he, as many people, kids who grow up in the Christian church struggle with, they struggle to know, how do I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die? And so he would, you know, pray constant sinner's prayers, or he would talk with his parents about how he could know if he was going to go to heaven when he would die. He said even he had dreams where he would you know, wake up in hell or surrounded by fire, and he was terrified, as any kid would who was going through that. And eventually what he realized, because he had been doing all these things to try and fix this problem of uncertainty within him, he eventually realized, 
I'm placing my faith in all of these things that I'm doing myself. And um, he said the thing that, that, that sort of caused him to turn a corner in this struggle was this verse, Titus 1-2. And in that verse it says this, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Emphasis here on which God, who never lies. And that pastor reminded us that when God tells us something, it will happen. When God told him in, through the scriptures that when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we can know we have eternal life and so he doesn't have to fear going to hell when he dies. In the same way, we as Christians, when we place our faith in the promises of God, we can 100% know more than anything else in this world that those things are going to happen. I love this verse. Jeremiah 1.12 says that the Lord said to Jeremiah, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What, what an amazing truth. God, he doesn't just proclaim his promises and stand back and watch. He, he is watching over his promises to perform them. What an encouragement. God cannot lie. And so when he tells us, when we experience suffering in, in this world, that it is not the sign of things to come, but it is, the sign, it, it is a sign of things to come. It's not going to be continued suffering. It is going to be the redemption of our bodies. It is going to be the redemption of this world. And so when he says those things, we can 100% trust that that is going to happen. As, as Paul discussed, even though we can't see our final adoption, even we can't see or picture what life will be like when Jesus comes back to redeem us from our fleshly bodies, we can know it is going to happen because God said it will happen. Because God has promised it will take place and he is watching over his word to perform it. And so, Christian, this morning, put your trust in him. Let yourself hope in him. When you experience, whatever you're experiencing today, the, the inward struggle of sin, the inward struggle of your own emotions, the, the struggle of sin on the outside and your situations and creation, let it, let it point you that, yes, there is, there is deep struggle on this earth and we will go through it. And God will be with us, but let it remind you that this is not the end. This is only a, a vapor. Perfection, victory are coming, and they're coming in the name of the Lord Jesus. Je it's the reason that we can have this assurance that this is going to happen is, yes, because God promised it, but he did it on the basis of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so it's not based on how well we do. It's based on, how, on the, the worth. It's based on the qualifications. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. If we place our faith in what Jesus has done for us, all of his promises are yes and amen. All of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we can have full assurance. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you've even been in church for a long time, and you don't... You don't identify with this groaning, this, this struggle, and, um, you know, come talk to us about it. Come pray with us about it. Ask God um, how he can lead you in this. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, but this, this, this kind of hope, this eternal hope, that there's hope beyond this world, 
It's true, and you can bank on it. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, we would love to talk with you about that, talk with what that means for you, and, and talk to you about the promise of what Jesus has done for us in, our, in the forgiveness of our sins and our eternal security because of what he has done for us. When you see this, it's beautiful. I, I, you know, I, when I, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a church, um, we didn't normally sing Southern gospel hymns kind of songs, but I, I remember our, our pastor, it was a pastor of a large church, and he would sometimes sing uh, Southern gospel songs. And um, if you've been around that at all, you know a lot of times they'll sing about you know, I don't even know, future glory, you know, the glory that's coming. And I remember we, my wife and I actually were listening to a song from this pastor from a long time ago. It was called Beulah Land. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but, I, but I think now, looking back through the lens of this passage, I, I a little bit understand what they're singing about. And that's this future glory. He's not singing about, you know, all of us when we die, we're going to get our angel wings and go fly around in the sky. I think that's kind of what I pictured when, when I would hear those songs. No, we are looking forward to the redemption of our bodies. We are looking forward to no more sin, no more pain, no more fear, no more violence in creation. And so we can rejoice because this is not the end. The perfect redemption is coming. This is not the end of the story. This pain that I experience is now, it's, it's only a sign of new life to come. So would you rejoice in that this morning, church? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for Romans 8. I pray that each one of us, each Christian that's here, that surely we're all experiencing some level of suffering, some more than others. And as we, we see suffering in our own lives and struggle, I pray that it would point us to the glory that is coming, the glory that is to be revealed to us. As we are changed, as we are made like you in the new heavens and new earth when we pass away from this world, anyone who's not a Christian here this morning, I pray that you would just lay that hope on their hearts this morning, that they can, they can grab hold of this hope by faith. simple trust that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did on the cross for us that we can be made new we can go from death to life and from death to life to eternal life and so I pray now that you would come and minister to us by your spirit encourage us help us as we sing I pray that our boast would only be in you we pray this in Jesus name